Trinity Baptist Church, a community growing in faith, obedience, and joy. Good morning. Um, I want to share a bit of a testimony of healing that I went through this year. Last December, I had sprained my ankle walking down Fifth Avenue in heels. Don't do that. Um, And I didn't think much of it. Six months later, I had a sort of permanent swollen ankle and constant pain. So my podiatrist advised I go and have an MRI done. Found out that I had a sprain in my peroneal tendon, which is the little muscle that runs along the side of your foot. So the doctor put me in a boot. I was in a boot for about three weeks, and there was zero progress in healing. Um, At that time, while I'm sitting in his office, he's telling me I need to have surgery. And it just so happened that a week later, we were leaving the prayer team for Ignite Conference in Vermont, which is hosted by Christian Healing Ministries, And I remember sitting there and him telling me I need to have surgery in my foot, and I'm just like, well, it just so happens I'm going to a healing conference next week. I didn't tell that to him because he'd probably freak out, but um, I just was like, yes, I'll think about it, come back to you. Um, At Ignite, one evening, um, John and Carol Arnott was leading us in corporate prayer, And they kind of went straight into it and was like, we're just going to start praying for healing of any body ailments. And I came expectant. I came with faith that Jesus was going to heal me. I did not want to have surgery. And as we started praying, I literally felt the Holy Spirit just fall on me. It felt like oil was dripping off my feet. I took my boot off, and I was moving my ankle around, and there was no pain. So I'm super excited, but I'm like, should I be excited? Is this really happening? So I'd gone up. Everyone that kind of had received healing went up and shared their testimony. It was just this beautiful, beautiful moment. Um, and we're so grateful for it. Several days later, I would feel pain creep back in. And I'm just like, oh, what's that? You know, when you've had pain for so many months and it's gone, you wonder, like, any little thing sort of makes you a little bit nervous. I'm like, did I not get healed? But then I would stop in my tracks, and I'd be like, no. I don't believe that the enemy can take this from me. I know the authority Jesus gave us, and I will just pray, and I'd say, in Jesus' name, I say, be gone. And I'd say, thank you, Jesus, for complete healing. Anytime that little pain tried to come back in. And this happened maybe for about two weeks after the the conference. Um... We just continue praying over it for that complete healing. And now, today, I mean, it's been a month since the conference, or maybe a month and a half. I've had no pain, no swelling in my ankle. I've got my New York walk back on. And today, I am grateful. I am grateful that Jesus died on the cross for us. I'm grateful that we can receive that healing. By his stripes, we are healed. My name is Yolanda Duplessis, and I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Today's reading is from Hebrews 12, verses 4 to 6. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. 
And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Yolanda. I wish I could talk like her. (laughs) Wow. I just sound like a Texan. You got this whole South African thing working in. So I want you to um, get in small conversation groups this morning. Yes. And for those of you who are visiting with us, my name's Keith, and I am the, the lead pastor here, and, um, and we do this uh, pretty routinely. And the, the reason we do this is to, to just to get us talking about something that has a little bit of significance. So here's the question I want you to, to share with two or three other people this morning. When the word discipline comes to mind, what do you think of? All right? So you got about 90 seconds. So introduce yourself and then answer this question. Let me just ask, how many of you, when you think of discipline, have a, um, you think of self-control, self-imposed discipline? All right, so that's a pretty good number of us. When you think of, how many of you think of, of discipline as, as punishment, as somebody bringing the hammer down? Okay, there we go. Now we're talking. Um, this morning we are looking at Hebrews chapter 12. And this is, you're going to love this text because it is very easy to understand It's all about one word. It's this one word that the author uses uh, nine times in seven verses, and it's all about discipline. Aren't you pumped about that? We get to learn about discipline. Yeah, maybe not. Um, This is important for us to consider because when the Lord disciplines us, We have a choice to make. We can choose to become bitter because of whatever the Lord is using to bring that discipline, or we can allow that discipline to make us better. We have that choice. Some translations use the word chasten, but... I think that's too narrow of an understanding because when you, you, when you think of being chastened, the thing that does naturally come to mind is punishment. In fact, um, the word chasten means to correct by punishment or reproof. But that's too, too narrow of a definition for the Greek word that is used here. Um, you see, this text is not just about God punishing us for sin, though that's part of it. More than that, the author is, is, is talking about God using discipline to train us. 
The Greek word which is used here over and over is the word peduo. And it suggests this, this broader idea of education. Let me just run through um, a few other places in the New Testament where this word is used. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training, the peduo, in instruction of the Lord. In 2 Timothy 2, where Paul is telling Timothy um, how to deal with an angry non-believer, he says, The Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct, paduo, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us, paduo, to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. You see what this word means um, in context when it's being used in the New Testament? It's, it's, it's all about training. It's about teaching. It's about instruction. So when you read through the scriptures, you will find that essentially there are three ways that, that God trains us, that God instructs us. One is um, desirable, one is avoidable, and one is inevitable. The desirable way that God wants to train us is, is through the scriptures, says this, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training, paduo, in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The desirable way for God to train us, for him to discipline us, is for us to go to the scriptures study the Word of God, learn the, the propositional truths that God has for us, and then put them into practice. That is the desirable way to be trained. And the reason it's desirable is because it's bloodless. You know, I mean, it, it's pretty pain-free when you get trained that way. Don't your parents wish that your kids would listen to you? And if they did, wouldn't it be less painful for them? Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, and you try to you try to to teach them propositionally in this desirable way so that it's better for them and it's better for others and they don't hurt themselves because they don't get themselves in situations. And quite frankly, you don't hurt them by inflicting some kind of pain that doesn't, anyway. Um, that's the desirable way that God disciplines us or trains us through his word. But then there's another way it's the same Greek word, and this one is avoidable, and might I say should be avoided at all costs. In 1 Timothy 1, Paul writes about these guys who are teaching heresy, 
and they're, they're leading uh, the church in Ephesus into, um, you know, all kinds of immorality, and, they, and they've been told over and over and over to stop, but they don't stop, and they just keep doing it. And, um, and finally, they, the church is left with no other uh, recourse but to, but to basically put these guys out of the assembly, not allow them to be a part of the church. And Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, verse 20, he says, Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught. Paduo, to be trained, to be disciplined, not to blaspheme. This is another way through what you might call Satan's remedial school of fundamentals. Sometimes God just says, you want to go that way? Then I'm going to let you go that way. And I'm going to let you experience um, Satan's influence in your life because you're just going to do what you want to do the way you want to do it and you're not listening to me and so I'm going to just turn you over. Friends, you don't want to go there. That is not a good place to be. But sometimes God has to take us there because we won't learn otherwise. Some people just will not learn to get out of that self-destructive pattern. And so God has to basically hand them over to Satan and say, I'm going to let Satan have his way with you for a while so that maybe you will be trained. So we've got the desirable way to be disciplined, and that is to be trained by the Word of God. We've got this undesirable way, which... um, you don't want to go to Satan's remedial school of fundamentals. And then there is this inevitable way. And that is God putting us through trials in order to bring out his grace in us. That is inevitable, and that's what Hebrews chapter 12 focuses on. Now, to give us a, a good testament illustration of this before we look at the specifics of Hebrews 12. I want to read a few verses from Deuteronomy 8. These are uh, verses 2 through 5. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. You see what God did? God led Israel into this difficult circumstance that was, that was totally beyond their ability to deal with. He, he humbled them <laughs> just like that. He humbled them by showing them that there, that there were some things beyond 
their control, that, that were beyond their self-sufficiency. They had no food. So what did God do? God fed them. God fed them in this uh, unimaginable way, a way that they'd never been fed before, a way that, they, that was beyond their understanding. They weren't able to feed themselves. They weren't able to, to go through the, the natural sowing and watering and reaping process. Now they lived like a baby bird by everything that proceeded from the mouth of the Lord. And did you notice what he called it? So the Lord your God disciplines you. He called it discipline. God didn't hit them. He led them. He led them into a tough situation which humbled them and forced them to trust him and his provision. And that's the idea of Hebrews chapter 12. Now, I wonder how many of us here this morning are in situations that are, that are testing us. Are you, in a, are you in a tough time right now? Deanne and I have, have been in this time of testing for two and a half years. And it's not fun. It's been hard and painful and discouraging. But the Lord has us in this season for a reason. And there have been a few things along the way that we've been able to identify. Okay, I, I need to learn this lesson. But for the most part, we're just saying, Lord, when is this going to be over? Um, I think we've learned. Can we move on? Anybody else there? Are you in a place where you're just saying, Lord, what are you doing here? When we find ourselves in that place, we have a choice. We can either become bitter or we can let the Lord use that discipline to become better. Let's look at how God raises his kids through tough times. Where do you get your strength to get through when you're going through tough times? Two places, the example of Jesus and the perspective that the scriptures give us on suffering. Look at uh, verse 3. Consider him, consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In other words, whatever circumstance you're in, it's not as bad as Jesus is. I mean, I, even two and a half years of head pain, it's not as difficult as what Jesus went through. Anybody here been whipped within one lash of your life? Anybody, um, any of you ever been, been falsely accused Stripped, beaten, spit upon, mocked, and then nailed to a cross. See, we haven't gone through what Jesus has gone through. And yet, as, as we've seen earlier in this letter, in chapters 4 and chapter 5, we have this sympathetic high priest 
who has gone through everything that we've gone through and then some on our behalf. And we can look to him as our, as our model, as our paradigm. When, uh, when we were in Rwanda uh, a few weeks ago, we, uh, whenever we go, we visit the, the people that we've built homes for over the years. And, and the woman that we built a home for in, in 2015, her name is Beata. And Beata is blind. Now, I'm sure we've all seen blind people in the city walking down and trying to navigate, you know, with their cane. Um, and, but they're walking on sidewalks relatively smooth sidewalks and they've got to navigate the inter, you know the intersections and that kind of stuff but but there's kind of a grid for how everything's laid out and they I'm not saying it's easy but consider a country that has no sidewalks it's all dirt roads they're all you know all kinds of terrain and you have a house built on the side of a hill that you've got a narrow passageway to get down to it and it drops off on one side down, you know, 10 or 12 feet, whatever it is, going down to to your house. And you've got to navigate this with a cane every day. I told one of our... um, one of our translators, I said, Sylvie, there are first world problems, there are third world problems, and then there are third world when you're blind problems. We don't know the depth of the, of the struggle of some people. Verse 4 says, in your struggle against sin... You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Does that make anybody else laugh? I think it's kind of funny because when I, when I read this, I'm thinking, what kind of counsel is this? I mean, it'd be like somebody coming into my office and saying, man, Keith, things are really tough. And I just look at them and I say, are you dead yet? <laughs> well, then get out of here. I mean, that's kind of what this is saying. You have not gotten to the place where you've shed blood. I don't know how many times I've counseled someone who, while they're in hardship, they have such tunnel vision. And everything is about them, and and they're talking like, oh, and I'm going through something that nobody else has ever gone through. And I just want to say, I don't say this. But but I just want to say, grow up. No matter what you're going through, there are people who have been through worse. And you could tell them your story and they would say, yeah, been there, done that. Now, I'm I'm not trying to make light. I'm not trying. I am not making light of the hardship and pain and, and trial that that many of us may be going through even this morning. But what I'm saying is that when we look to Jesus and we look at what he went through on our behalf, that needs to give us hope. It needs to give us perspective because he's our paradigm. 
So we look at Jesus, and secondly, we, we look at the, the message of Scripture. Look at verse 5. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? We've got a personal letter from God telling us, his children, how to deal with trials. And yet, we've forgotten not only what it says, but when we find ourselves in trials, we forget to even go back to this. When we get into tough situations, we have a tendency to... We have a tendency to think, oh, this is a cosmic phenomenon. That we, we adapt the bumper sticker philosophy, stuff happens. Preacher paraphrase. Um, but friends, it's not just that stuff happens. What this author is telling us is that God is behind the stuff that happens. Notice who he points to four times in this quote from Proverbs. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Four times. He says, whatever you're going through, it's from the Lord. Question, did God cause it or did God allow it? Doesn't matter. Because if it is happening in time and space, then God is behind it one way or another. Because God is sovereign. And did you notice the two wrong responses that people have to discipline? says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Have you ever noticed how we do those two things? Anybody ever make light of the Lord's discipline? When parents, when you're disciplining your children and you, you've finished the, the course of discipline, whatever that is, and then you say, um, so Benjamin, what did you learn from this? And, and if my son said, yeah, whatever, Dad, my response to him would be, don't make light of my discipline. You need to learn from this. But so often, that's what we do. How many times have, have we seen Christians go through hard times and it doesn't change them? They, they just kind of gut it out and grumble until it's over and they just... They, they go through it without being impacted. Friends, that's a low view of the sovereignty of God, and that is making light of his discipline. Whenever you're going through hard times, you need to stop, and you need to ask the Lord and say, God, show me what I need to see in this. What are you, what are you trying to, to train me in in this? Because God always wants to use difficulty in your life to train you so that you cannot be bitter, but you can be better. So don't make light of his discipline. And, and secondly, don't lose heart. What's another way your kids respond when you discipline them? You don't love me. You never loved me. 
don't lose heart. God does love you. In fact, that's the very reason that he is disciplining you at all. It's because he loves you. Notice verse 6. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Um, Biblically, what is the mark of a lousy parent? From the book of Proverbs, it is very clear. A lousy parent will sacrifice long-term product for short-term comfort. Whereas a good parent will sacrifice short-term comfort for long-term product. If you let a kid come home from school every day and play video games all afternoon, every afternoon, what are you doing? You are producing a shallow, lazy, um, irresponsible individual. Now, they might be good at video games, but you're not, you're not training them. Just an FYI, Deanne and I disciplined our kids. Um, we made them pick up their toys. We made them clean up their messes. We even made them do dishes every night. Oh. <laughs> and sometimes it would have been a whole lot easier for us just to do it ourselves than go through all we had to do to get them to do it. But we did it anyway. Why? Because we loved them. And the, the long-term product was a whole lot more important to us than the short-term comfort. And that's the way God is with us. God's discipline of us shows his love for us, and it also shows uh, his relationship with us. It says he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. If, if you don't go through hard times where God is training you, then you may not be his. Any of you ever seen um, someone else's child misbehaving? Anybody? What do you do with that? Right? I mean, sometimes I see these kids misbehaving, and I just want to go, you know, grab somebody, the kid, the parent, or something. You know, this is not right. But I don't do it because it's not my kid. See, we don't discipline children that we don't know, and neither does God. God only disciplines his kids. The rest he leaves to their father. And that's what he says in verses 7 and 8. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Friends, God loves us. He loves us enough that he will prove his relationship with us by his discipline. 
Discipline shows God's love for us. It shows his relationship with us. And lastly, look at what it produces. Verse 10. They disciplined us for they, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Did you notice the words? Holiness, righteousness, peace. That's what discipline produces. But here's the key for those who have been trained by it. You see, the the result of discipline is you either become bitter or you get better. But it's your choice. You can allow the discipline of God to train you and thus you become more like Jesus or you can become bitter and die in the wilderness. How did those Jews die in the wilderness? Not one of them died of hunger. Not one of them died of thirst. Not one of them died from exposure or swollen feet. They died because they did not learn from the discipline. They didn't allow the discipline to train them and produce a harvest of holiness, righteousness, and peace. But that's the way God trains us, by putting us in places where we have to trust him. You want to know how to find happiness in life? It's through holiness. And how is holiness produced in your life? Holiness is produced through the discipline of God. Just like he did Israel. He says, I'm going to take you into a place you can't handle. I'm going to humble you. I'm going to test you. I'm going to feed you in a way you never imagined I could feed you. And I'm going to enlighten you so that I am the strength of your life. I am going to train you like a father trains his son. And here's the last thing. What should our attitude be? This is verse 9. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? Two, two words to pay attention to. Respect and submit. We should respect God for, for his discipline of us as we respected our earthly fathers for their discipline. And secondly, we should submit to his authority and trust in his leadership. If you do that, if you will respect who God is, and trust and submit to him, then you will come out trained. And it will produce in you a harvest of righteousness and peace. So, here are the takeaways. Where do we get our strength? The example of Jesus and the testimony of the Bible. How are we um, not to respond Don't make light and don't lose heart. And what are God's purposes in discipline? To show us his love for us, 
uh, to prove his relationship with us and to produce in us a harvest of holiness, righteousness, and peace. In short, it's to make us look more like Jesus. You know that in the Middle East, in the Middle East, even to this day, shepherds in the Middle East, if they have a if they have a sheep that that tends to wander off, they will take that sheep and they will break its leg. Now they don't do that as punishment to try to, you know, scold the sheep. I mean, it's a dumb sheep, right? They do that to train the sheep. Because while the, the sheep is then being cared for by the shepherd, the, the, the shepherd did that to keep the sheep from wandering off into unsafe places. But now as the, the sheep is... is is healing, the shepherd is, is caring tenderly for that, for that sheep, and that sheep doesn't get very far away from the shepherd. And then once the, the, the sheep is healed, that, that sheep stays close to the shepherd because of the relationship that has been, um, that has been formed during that time. Friends, we're just a bunch of dumb sheep. And we, we are prone to wander. And sometimes the Lord has to discipline us. And, and to do that, sometimes it's painful. He has to break our leg. But it's not because he wants to break our leg. It's because he wants us to walk in the safety and the protection that he wants to provide for us. He wants us to walk in the fullness of life that he has for us. And to keep us from wandering off, sometimes he has to discipline us. And that can be painful. If you are having a problem with trials in your life, the problem is not the trial. Your problem is that you have totally misconstrued who God is. God is our good shepherd and we are his sheep and he loves his sheep even though we're dumb sheep. (laughs) And because we are and we're prone to wander into unsafe places, he so loves us that sometimes he comes And he has to necessarily impose some discipline on us that can be painful. And there are two ways we can respond to that. We can make light and lose heart and thus become bitter. Or we can look at the example of Jesus and the testimony of Scripture and submit to it and become better. We can allow God's discipline in our lives to establish a caring relationship which prompts us to trust him to let him take care of us, to protect us, to feed us. And when we step into that place, then it produces in us this harvest of righteousness and peace. So the question for all of us this morning is, will you be trained? 
If you are God's child, you will be disciplined. You can count on that. But the question is, how will you respond? Will you be bitter? Or will you get better? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I, uh, it's hard to say thank you for hard times. It's hard to be grateful when we are in the midst of trial. And yet when we, when we really appreciate the, the truth of the relationship we have with you, then, then we should be in a place of gratitude no matter what we're going through. Because you have a purpose in all of this. Lord, I pray that as a community of faith, we would, we would be trained, that we would, <laughs> we would uh, step into the desirable way of training. And that is studying the scriptures and, and, and applying them to our lives. That we would avoid that undesirable way where you hand us over. But Lord, the, the area that's inevitable, the place that we all will find ourselves in at some point or another, that place of trial and hardship, I pray, Lord, that you will give us right perspective, that we will keep our eyes on Jesus we will keep our eyes in the, in the scriptures and it will keep our heads upward toward you, trusting that you have a plan and that you want us to get better. Lord, I pray this for your namesake. Amen.